You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Abide. Philippians chapter 4, and we are going to read verses 6 and 7. We'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. Notice what the Bible says there, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, Be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I thank you so much for the promises found in your word, the promises to help with stress, the promises to help us in every facet of our life, Lord. And and I pray that you take away every ounce of selfishness, every ounce of me in this message and, and help me preach your word today. Lord, help this message speak to my heart. Help me get everything out of this message and help our church just grow together with you as we get into this message today. We love you so much. We praise your name, and we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Does anybody know who this man is on the screen? I'll give you $100 if you can tell me who that is. Man, you guys just missed out. I tell you, 100 bucks. I thought we might get a couple people, actually. But this man is named Connie Mack. And we're going to look at him a little bit today. Connie Mack was a legendary baseball manager who excelled in leading and motivating his team to succeed. During his tenure as the manager of the Philadelphia Athletics, he actually guided his team to five World Series titles. And when he retired, he retired with the most managerial wins in Major League Baseball history. But it's interesting. One of his key strategies for success was his ability to avoid worrying. That was one of his key strategies. In a profound moment of reflection, Max said this, He said, I discovered that worry was threatening to wreck my career as a baseball manager. I saw how foolish it was and forced myself to get so busy preparing to win games that I had no time to worry over the ones already lost. In other words, the key to Mac's success was recognizing the foolishness of worry. That's what it was. And and I want you to know this morning that that truth still holds true today. Worrying is foolish. Worrying is a fruitless endeavor. Worrying is unproductive. And it's been said that worrying is actually a form of practical atheism. And I would agree with that because when we worry, we are essentially placing our faith in our own abilities rather than acknowledging and relying on the Lord for help. And many Christians are living this way. There are many Christians in church right now that are living with this mindset. Now, none of us would dream of identifying as an atheist, right? But when it comes to the realm of worry, our actions say otherwise. And I want you to know that I'm not picking on anybody when I say this because you are looking at a man that struggles with worry. I struggle with worry so much. Out of all of the sins that someone can struggle with, worry would be at the top of my list. Worry is my Everest, and I've struggled with it since I was a little kid. And my relationship with worry has been a rocky one. There was a time in my life when I was in high school that I kept it bottled up. I wouldn't tell anybody about it. I didn't want anybody to know that I struggled in this way, and I would physically make myself ill. I would break out in hives from head to toe because of my worry. I suppressed it. 
And that was not a good way to handle anxiety. That wasn't a good way at all. But, but then I began to accept my anxiety. Over the years, I, I started to accept it for, for what it was. But my mindset was, I can't help it, so therefore it isn't wrong. Right? This is who I am, and there's nothing I can do about it, so it's not necessarily wrong. And, and can I just say, that is a wrong way to deal with anxiety as well. Both of those mindsets did not help me overcome my anxiety. One suppressed it, one accepted it, but none of those mindsets helped it in any way. But then as I really started to, to get close with my relationship with the Lord and I started studying the scriptures and reading what the Bible has to say on the matter, I began to have a right relationship with my anxiety. And now I've come to the point where I recognize that worry is a sin that easily besets me, to quote Hebrews chapter 12, but instead of accepting it or suppressing it, I acknowledge it for what it is, and I look to Jesus for help. I acknowledge it for what it is. It's wrong, but I look to Jesus for help. And I just got to say that mindset, that relationship helped me so much in overcoming my anxiety. It was such a blessing. And as we come to our text this morning in Philippians chapter 4, we find the Apostle Paul teaching the church at Philippi to do the same thing. He wants them to look to Jesus for help. You see, once we get to verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4, we find the Apostle Paul switching gears and moving from the topic of unity to the topic of anxiety. Verses 1 through 4, he's dealing with a disagreement between two people in the church, and he's saying, hey, be unified. Hey, live in harmony. But once we get to verse number 6, he switches gears and he says, it's time to deal with anxiety. And the reason why Paul did that is because this church was struggling with stress, anxiety, and worry. This was a big problem that this church had. Now, don't get me wrong. If we look at this in its context, this church had reason to worry. They had to deal with external threats. There was persecution on the outside from the Romans. They were worried about that. They had to deal with internal divisions. We found out in Philippians chapter 3 that there were these people called the Judaizers that were infiltrating this church and preaching a false doctrine. And we learned in Philippians chapter 4 that there was a disagreement between two women in the church, Eudeus and Syntyche, that were causing divisions and disagreements, and they were worried about that. They were concerned for Paul, their former pastor. He's in prison in Rome. They don't know if he's going to die or if he's going to live. They were worried about that. We found out in Philippians chapter 2, they were concerned for Epaphroditus, one of their church members, because he went to Rome to help Paul. And while he was helping Paul, he got sick nigh unto death. And they weren't sure if he was going to die or if he was going to live. And then to top it all off, they were worried if God was going to take care of them. This church had a possibility of closing down. This church did not know if they had the provisions to keep them going. They had reason to fear. They had reason to have stress. They had reason to worry. But the Apostle Paul writes to them and says, hey, you don't need to fear. You don't need to worry. You can have peace today. That's what the Apostle Paul tells his church. And, and I want you to know today, Paul's message to the church of Philippi is Paul's message to the church of Akron. It's Paul's message to you and I today. You don't need to fear. You can have peace today. And, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. All right, we're going to look at the pathway to peace, and we're going to look at God's method for overcoming anxiety and worry. I'm really excited about this message. 
And that brings me to my first point today. I want you to notice the problem of anxiety. The problem of anxiety. Now, anxiety is a major problem to have for Christians, right? It's a major problem to have for Christians. Anxiety is like carrying a huge backpack for miles, right? It, it wears you down. It gets heavy. It makes you feel out of breath, right? It's like an alarm clock that continues to go off with no snooze button. It's annoying. You can't function. It's just going off again and again and again. And in many ways, it has no benefit whatsoever. No benefit to worry. And this actually coincides with numerous studies that have been done on the subject. One study found that 40% of worries never actually happen. 30% of worries relate to past events that are beyond our control. 12% of worries are about health anxieties without any illness whatsoever. 10% of worries are about friends or neighbors without reason. And only 8% of worries have some basis in reality. So more than 90% of our worrying is for no reason. We struggle with anxiety. Many Christians struggle with this sin of anxiety. Now, for us to overcome this issue, though, which is what we're going to look at today, it's important for us to understand what it is. Right? It's important for us to really get a grasp and identify and understand the problem of anxiety. Right? So let's investigate. Let's ask some questions. And the first question that we need to ask is, what is it? What is anxiety? Well, the cool thing is, the Apostle Paul answers that question in verse 6. Look at how he begins. He says, be careful for nothing. Now, modern translations say, be anxious for nothing. And when we look at the Greek word used, we find out both are correct. Both are right. Because the word careful in the Greek literally means to be full of care. To be full of care. So to understand what the word signifies, just flip the word around. Careful equals full of care. It's being full of anxiety. It's being troubled with our cares. That's the idea of anxiety. And the picture is to be pulled in different directions. You've got your hopes and dreams pulling you in one direction and your fear of them not coming to pass pulling you in another direction. That's the idea there, to be full of care. One author described it this way. He said, anxiety is a strong feeling of wanting something accompanied by the fear of not getting it. To say it this way, Anxiety occurs when we desire something, whether that's relationships, good health, security, friends, but we imagine a future without it. We think about the consequences of not receiving our desires. And you want to know what the result is? The result is we freak out. We get cautious, we get, we get nervous, and, and we think to ourselves, you know, what if they reject me? What if, what if they turn me down? What, what, what if I can't pay my student loans? What if I fail this test? What if, what if my kids move away from me and I never see them again, right? We think about all of these different things. The worries go on and on and on. We think about the consequences of not receiving our desires. But I want you to know today, the Bible says if we delight ourselves in the word of God, delight ourselves in the law of the Lord, he will give us the desires of thine heart, right? So again, it takes faith, it takes trust, but anxiety is fearing the consequences of those desires not coming to pass. 
So that's the first question. But then the second question we need to ask is this, what does anxiety do to us? What does anxiety cause in our life? Well, we find out a lot of problems, right? Spiritually speaking, it causes a lot of issues. Anxiety is a joy killer because you fail to enjoy in the moment. You're worried about some small insignificant thing. Anxiety will make you self-absorbed. You're too focused on your problems, on your issues to be a help to somebody else. Anxiety will distract us. We're not able to focus on what's important because we're focused on what's not, the fears. Anxiety keeps us from fulfilling the mission of God because God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And, and sometimes that plan includes taking a step of faith. And if we have anxiety and, and fear and let that rule over us, we'll never take that step. And anxiety robs you of peace. That's what's mentioned here in Philippians chapter four. If we let anxiety rule our life, we lose that peace of God. It causes a lot of issues, spiritually speaking, but, but also physically speaking. Physically speaking, and, and you guys know this, it brings a lot of issues in our life. It is a major factor affecting our general health. In fact, people with anxiety go to the doctor three to five times more than the general population. I found that interesting, three to five times more. Anxiety can contribute to cardiovascular, gastrointestinal, and respiratory problems. It increases the risk of developing high blood pressure. It can cause tension headaches, back pain, and muscle tension. It's linked to irritable bowel syndrome, and it disrupts sleep, leading to insomnia and poor sleep quality. So much with anxiety, all of that rolled up into worry. And again, I want you to know today, this is not the life God wants you to live. No, the Bible says he wants you to live the abundant life the life beyond amazing. He wants you to live a life of abundance, not an anxiety-filled life. That's what anxiety causes. That's what anxiety does to us. So, so what do we look at so far? We looked at what is anxiety? What does anxiety do to us? But then the third question we need to ask is, what does this verse mean for us? What does this verse actually mean? And, and you may be looking at this verse and, and reading it and think to yourself, man, it's a command. God's telling me not to worry. God's telling me not to have anxiety. Doesn't he know that, that I have a condition? Doesn't he know that, that I can't help it? Right? What does this verse actually mean to us? Well, this is so cool. All right, our text says, be anxious for nothing. Now, this is interesting. If you look up this phrase in the Greek, you discover that this verb is in the grammatical emphasis that forbids an action that's already in progress. You can be like, what the heck does that mean? Well, meaning, God is not saying don't worry. God is saying, stop worrying. And that teaches us something today. It teaches us that we can't always control the thoughts that come to our minds, but we can control what we do when those thoughts come. We can't control those worrisome thoughts. You have anxiety, we all do. But the idea is to control it or to stop it when those thoughts come, to cast it down. We may encounter worrisome thoughts or concerns, but but we can prevent them from taking root in our minds and consuming our thoughts. That's something that we can do. I like what Martin Luther said. He said this, he said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And that's the picture with our thought life. You can't keep thoughts from, 
coming over you and, and those thoughts of worry, those thoughts of stress, those, those anxiety-filled thoughts, those are going to come, but you can decide, hey, I'm not going to let them build a nest. I'm not going to let them take root in my mind. And, and that's a really good illustration of this. We have the ability. We have the ability to direct our thoughts. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, whenever a thought comes into your mind that is contrary to the word of God, contrary to that great life that God has for you, you cast them down. Like the Kembe Mutumbo with the finger wag, you cast them down and say, hey, I'm not gonna think about that anymore. Right, that's the idea there. Right, that teaches us something about worry. Stop worrying, change your thought pattern. So that's what anxiety means to us. We're gonna go through anxiety. We're gonna go through stress. We're gonna deal with those thoughts in our life. But it's what we do when those thoughts come that matters. We don't let them be rooted. So how do we do that though? How do we handle that? If an, if an anxiety-filled thought or a worrisome thought comes, what do we do to combat that? Well, that brings me to my second point today. We looked at the problem of anxiety, but I want you to notice number two, the prescription for worry. The prescription for worry. Now, there are many recommendations for handling worry, right? You take a trip through Barnes and Noble, you're gonna find many different books on the subject, acupuncture, exercise, diet, so on and so forth. And, and many of those things are good. Many of those things might, might help you in some way, but the Bible answer is found in verse six. And I like the Bible answer. Look what the Bible says there. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You wanna know what the Bible answer is? The Bible answer is prayer. Turning every care into a prayer. Don't worry about anything, pray about everything. God wants you to pray your worries away. Now you may be thinking, Michael, dude, I've tried that, right? This isn't my first rodeo. I've tried to pray when worries come. I've tried to pray when I'm stressed out and it didn't work. It helped a little bit, but it did not help very much. Well, I find this really cool. Paul doesn't give one method of prayer here. No, he actually mentions three. He uses three different words when referring to prayer which indicates the importance of being disciplined in our prayers. So the idea is praying with a disciplined prayer life, a strong prayer life. This text teaches us three ways to have a strong prayer life and in turn, three ways to have the peace of God in our life. And every single one of us falls short on these three ways. I can assure you of that, all right? But the first way, the first way we can overcome worry and stress is it involves time with God. To have a disciplined prayer life, to have a strong prayer life, it involves spending time with God. And, and that's what we see in the first part of verse six. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. So the first word Paul uses is the word prayer. Now, if you look at this in the Greek, this is the most general term for prayer in scripture. It is a standard word that encompasses all the different elements that should go into prayer. It speaks of the act of addressing God. It is conversation and communion with God. And it's the prayer that enjoys the presence of God. It's the idea of adoration and worship 
in prayer. And Paul uses it here to teach that real praying involves time with God, worship, adoration. You see, prayer should involve more than simply supplication. It should involve more than just bringing our request to God. God, here's a list of my demands, right? We don't say that, but we got to think that way if we're only requesting for things. No, prayer is meant to be communion with God. It's meant to be intimate, deliberate. It's not just to get God to do something for you. And spending time with God, man, it's crucial. It's crucial to live the victorious Christian life. It, it's crucial to, to overcome stress and, and worry. And I got to tell you today, the best time you will ever have is spending time with God in prayer. This past week, and I'm so thankful that, that I'm a pastor, I'm able to do this more. And I was just spending time with the Lord, just me and him one-on-one. And I wasn't listening to anything. I wasn't reading anything. It was just me and him. We went for a walk and I, I just was talking with him. Just spending time with him. And man, it was the best. It was the best time in the world, just spending time with my Savior. There's something about that, spending time in prayer with God. David Brainerd said it this way. He said, oh, one hour with God infinitely exceeds all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. Man, and I would agree with that full-heartedly. One hour with God is so much better than anything this world has to offer. And if we spend time with him, it will help us so much in overcoming stress and worry. So that's the first step, guys. But then secondly, it also involves trusting God, time with God, trusting God, putting our trust in God. And that's what we see in the next word Paul uses. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So the second word Paul uses is supplication. Now this word refers to making a special petition. And the idea is to pray with a sense of need. The, the literal definition means to ask to ask for things. But, but understand this now, supplication goes beyond merely presenting your needs to God in prayer. No, when we ask for things, we also believe that he's going to answer those prayers. That's what true prayer is. It, it carries a deeper meaning and significance because when you bring your needs before God, it's not to inform him of anything unknown. No, it's an affirmation that God alone is capable of meeting those needs. That's what we are saying when, when we ask. We're believing that he will answer those prayers. In other words, supplication is a statement of trust in God. It is a declaration of dependence upon God. It's confessing to God that you are going to trust him. And trust is key, right? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all, all, all of thine hearts and lean not unto thine own understanding. We gotta trust the Lord. So a strong prayer life, what does it take? It takes time with God. It takes trust in God. But then number three, it also takes thanking God. It takes thankful prayers. And that's how he ends verse six. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So when we pray, how do we do it? We are to offer prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Worship, believing, praising. You know, one reason why many of us worry so much, and you're not gonna like this, because we're ungrateful. One reason why we worry so much is because we are ungrateful people. The Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes from above. So therefore, you and I, we should be thanking him 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, every good thing that comes into our life. None of us thank God enough. And because we are short on praise, dude, we are short on peace. We're short on that peace in our life. And I, I truly believe this. I believe that the spirit of gratitude is perhaps the greatest defense against anxiety and worry. I really do, because it's hard to worry when you're constantly thanking God for what he's done in your life. And, and all true prayer will be marked by gratitude. So let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed and thanked him for what he's done? Specifically, thanked him before he even answered that prayer. We are to pray with thanksgiving. We are to pray and praise and thank in everything. First Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We're to thank God of the big things, the small things, the insignificant things, the stressful things, the happy things. In everything, give thanks. So that's the prescription for worry. We looked at the problem of worry. We looked at the prescription for worry. And then number three to close, I want you to notice the promise of peace. You see, for the Christian who follows this prescription, we are given a glorious promise in verse number seven. Look at how he ends. He says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What does that verse say? That verse tells us if we pray about everything, we are promised his peace. That's one of the 7,000 promises with your name on it that you can trust in, right? We are promised peace if we go to God in prayer. Hey, no matter how your prayers are answered, taking your concerns to God will bring you this peace. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And, and I want you to know today, you guys know this verse. This is a verse that, that we know very well. This is one of those common verses that you see on picture frames and, and you see on mugs. It's the one that people like to, to quote on Facebook, right? We know this verse very well, but because this verse is so well known, I don't think we understand the magnitude of this promise, guys. We take it for granted. You see, this promise means so much more than you or I will ever realize. And so to close this morning, let's parse this verse. All right, let's break this down quickly today. You look at verse seven and the first word that sticks out to me is that word peace. He says, and the peace of God. Now, I do wanna clarify that this word peace is a little bit different than our English word for peace. A little bit different. You see, our English word for peace originates from an old French word, meaning the absence of hostility or the absence of problems. There isn't any problems, you're living in peace. That's the idea there for our English word. But in Philippians chapter four, God's peace is related to the Old Testament concept of shalom. And the Hebrew word shalom has a much richer meaning. This word is found more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And the idea of shalom is the condition of everything being set right. The condition of everything being set right a lot more than just the absence of problems. No, the idea of shalom is all about fulfillment, completion, maturity, soundness, wholeness, harmony, tranquility, security, well-being, welfare, friendships, agreements, and success all rolled up into one. And that's the word that Paul uses here in Philippians chapter four. 
And I can't even begin to get you to understand this. This is one of the deepest longings of the human heart. We crave this, we want this, and we're promises. So I see the word peace. But then the second thing I see is the phrase of God. The Bible says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Now it's interesting. In Philippians 4, 7, that phrase, the peace of God, is a descriptive statement about God himself. The reason why that's so cool is because this gives us an understanding of who God is and the peace that he brings. And I, I truly can't begin to understand, let alone describe to you the significance of these words. You see, the peace of God is the awesome well-being, the glorious security, the inexpressible wholeness, and the inner tranquility that characterizes the infinite being of God himself. In other words, since God is omnipotent, his peace is an all-powerful peace. Since God is eternal, his peace is without beginning or end. Since God is infinite, his peace is limitless. And since God is holy, his peace is pure. From everlasting to everlasting, this peace has marked and permeated the very being of God. And guess what? That peace is promised to us. The peace of God that passes all understanding is for you and I today. So what do we see? We see the word peace. We see the phrase of God. And then notice further down the verse, we see the phrase shall keep. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. This is so cool. The phrase shall keep, you look that up. It's actually a military term describing a soldier who watches over and protects something. A soldier who protects something. It literally means to set a garrison around. Like soldiers assigned to watch over a certain area, God's peace protects the hearts and minds of God's children. And I think this is an awesome picture here because the Apostle Paul was experiencing this firsthand. You see, as the Apostle Paul is penning this letter, remember now, he's in prison. Remember now, he's secured to a Roman guard. And it wasn't just any Roman guard. No, the Apostle Paul was secured by the Praetorian guards, the most elite soldiers in the Roman Empire. As he's penning these words, the picture of the peace of God guarding him was on his mind. As he looked to the guard, chained to him, protecting him, securing him, it reminded him of God's peace. The elite guard was protecting him. But can I tell you today, the Apostle Paul had something far more elite, far more amazing, far more awesome that was guarding his heart and mind. And that was the very peace of God. Let me ask you, do you ever sit back and just wonder how Paul was able to do it? How was Paul able to have peace in this time? How was Paul able to have joy in this time? How was Paul able to go through what he went through? It boggles my mind when I read it. Well, the answer is pretty simple. He had the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's what it was. Fear was being denied entrance to his heart by the peace of God. And the same thing goes for us, guys. When preceded by prayer, God's peace always stands guard. So go out on the list. I'm almost done. Peace of God shall keep. Last one. And this is my favorite phrase. Through Christ Jesus. Let's look at that verse as a whole. The Bible says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the direction of peace and the pathway to peace, you want to know what it is? It's Jesus Christ. 
It's Jesus Christ today. And I want you to know, Jesus is the only way to have true peace in your life. Because God cannot give us peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. Peace only comes from God because he is peace. He's the prince of peace, right? And true peace in life can only come through an unchanging, unmovable object, and that is Jesus. And did you know, this is so cool, Jesus has promised us his peace. This isn't just Paul talking. This isn't just the Philippians or, or anything like that. Jesus himself has promised us his peace. Jesus said in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. Ready for this? My peace, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Hey, those two verses tells us something. It tells us that Jesus has literally promised us his vintage of peace. The peace of God, the peace of Jesus is promised to us. And, and as I close today, just think about how cool that is. All right. The peace that calmed his heart when he was falsely accused the peace that steadied his voice when he spoke to Pilate, the same supernatural peace that kept his thoughts clear and heart pure as he hung there on the cross, that peace is available to you. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that is the most glorious promise of all. Because peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but in the presence of God. We can have that peace because of God's presence. And there's only one way to experience God's presence, and that's through Jesus Christ. It all boils down to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. You say, Michael, how do you know that? Well, what's prayer? Relationship. What's the presence of God? Relationship. Therefore, peace indicates a relationship. It all goes back to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.